and welcome to the Jill Cruz podcast. This is Jill Cruz. Today I had the pleasure and really the honor to speak with Liana Michelle. Liana is an expert in behavioral wellness and through her own life experiences and suffering her own traumas in her life, she made a conscious decision to move away from that in the sense of not suppressing uh, her emotions, but to you know, lean into her experiences and to explore those emotions. And from out of that, to seek help and work with professionals herself to move forward in her life, to create a life filled with passion and purpose and how those experiences shaped her behavior. And she decided she wanted to step away from that and not repeat certain patterns, you know, that she learned from her childhood and to actually have a different type of behavior. So she did that with her son. And then eventually she moved on to become an expert herself, helping other people with their behavioral wellness. So Liana is out there. She's doing a lot of great stuff. And I think you're going to see from this conversation that she is truly committed to helping people feel better, live a better life. We talk about the Miss Voluptuous competition pageant that she's in and and a lot of other good juicy things. So uh, definitely enjoy this episode. And I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Hello, Liana. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Jill. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to, I know we're going to have some fun because uh, I see that you are wearing a sash, a beautiful dark blue sash that says Miss Voluptuous State. State finalist. Finalist. Okay. So let's, I want to hear about that. Um, so Miss Voluptuous is a pageant that started, I want to say, in 2016 in Europe. Um, so it's European based and it's all about a sisterhood. It's about bringing women together, not to be petty, to remove like even though it's a competition, it removes the competitive part from it. And you see women that are really coming together to support each other. Um, a lot of us are women who are survivors, whether we have su- survived domestic violence and illness or, you know, anything that has created a trauma experience in our lives. We are women who have overcome it. We have survived it. We are stepping out of our comfort zones and we're doing something that no one ever thought we could do, including ourselves. A lot of times you grow up with a lot of naysayers that's telling you what you can't do. You're not good enough for this. You're not good enough for that. And when you are in those situations, you begin to believe it for yourself and you embody that negativity, that negative energy. So with the Miss Voluptuous pageant, it's our way of stepping out of the negative and into the positive. It's our way of saying, I can do this. I am worthy. I am a value. You know, I I know who I am now. And this and this is how I want to show the world of what I believe and think of myself. 
That's beautiful. I love that. And so each each state in the United States has this organization. You said Michigan, right? Where you, you Yes, I'm from the yeah. state of Michigan. The Miss Voluptuous Pageant, I want to say they've been stateside for um, a couple of years now. So it's growing. The momentum okay. is growing. The more, more people are becoming knowledgeable of it. Um, Miss Voluptuous USA for 2022 is actually also from Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I got the opportunity to meet her and through meeting her and just volunteering and going to a lot of her networking events, she and I have become friends. Mm-hmm. So when the pageant opened up for 2023, she reached out to me and was like, you should enter this. I'm going to put your name in the box. You're going to enter. And here I am, a state finalist for the state of Michigan for the 30 plus over crowd because there okay. are two. There are two awards. It is the 18 to 30, and then it's the 31 and up. So I'm in the 31 and up crowd, which makes me even more proud because I'm 48 years old. And All I'm right. in a You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. how many 48-year-olds are in beauty pageants? You know what I'm saying? So it's totally new for me. It's definitely way past my comfort zone. But, you know, once you have to step out of your box in order to embrace life more. Absolutely. I'm excited about it. So what what do you what are all the aspects of the pageant? Like, is there like um, a physical, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, do you have to do have certain physical characteristics? And then probably I know with most pageants, there's also like maybe, you know, your purpose in life or your community service or, you know, your skills, talents, those sorts of things. So definitely, um, I'm happy that there's not a swimsuit competition. So yay (laughs) for no no swimsuit competition. I have not had on a swimsuit since before my son was born and he's 27 now. So we don't want to do that. Um, as far as the, the physical uh, day, there is a, a fashion forward runway look that you have to do. And then there is your evening gown runway look. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, there is an interview with a panel of judges where they are asking you, what are your goals with, you know, this particular title? What do you plan to present or re- and how do you plan on representing the Miss Voluptuous Pageant. Um, what is your platform? What What are you fighting for, for your state? Or, you know, even for the U.S., if you win that particular title. So you're going through that interview process. There is a community service aspect to it. I have done a fundraiser for a nonprofit organization. I'm in the community. I've adopted some kids for the holidays. Um, And it's not so much as new because I always try to help and and be a part of an effective change for people Mm -hmm. in the community. It's just with the pageant, I'm able to I guess, go the extra mile with my community service and not only go the extra mile, but now it's being documented and it's being right. more broadcast. Whereas I might do something quietly where nobody knows that I'm doing this. Now it's like, oh no, let me get the photo op. I have to log the hours, you know? Um, so those type of things are a little bit different. But overall, I like the fact that it allows you to present your platform. And for me, my platform is behavioral health and wellness, not just for the elite, but for all communities. 
I feel like it's very important, even in our school system, that we are aware of behavioral wellness, that we can identify those triggers in our children that maybe we could catch early on to prevent so many horrific events that are happening in our schools. I just feel like, you know, everybody goes through a traumatic experience and everybody handles them differently. But if we can identify that early on and provide the assistance that that person needs, then we can help them with the developmental stages of how to process that trauma, how to move forward past that trauma, and to let them know you're not by yourself. You're not alone in this. You have somebody here that's going to, that's willing to hold your hand and talk to you and guide you through that experience so you could come out the other side whole and healed and happier. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, when you say everybody has trauma, it really is true. And there obviously are degrees to that, of course. Like anybody could look objectively and say, yeah, this person, you know, has been to war. This person has been in a domestic violence situation. You know, they've been abused, right? Whatever it is, they've been a victim of a crime. But we all we all have some experience to a certain extent. And we need to talk about it, right? Because everybody has experienced that. Everybody has pain. But we're all walking around not all of us, I shouldn't say all of us, because some people do the work, right? But right. most of us do walk around kind of hiding things. And, you know, you were telling me earlier before we got on the call, like about your mom, you know, how your mom, it was all about the appearances and what was going on inside mm-hmm. the house was not, it was hidden. And, the, and when we hide this stuff because we're ashamed, right? A lot of it, I think, comes from shame. You know, it's hard because you're trying to cope with a difficult situation. So you can't blame somebody for wanting to hide that. But at the same time, the work that you're doing is so important because you're helping people and they're trying to process this trauma. And and I think the more that we process it, the more we can talk about it. And the more we talk about it, the more we can see that we're all we're all have pain. And it's a question of what we're going to do about it, you know, like you know, how we cope with that in our lives. And I love what, what you've done in the, in the organization, uh, the Miss Voluptuous, is that the name of the organization? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, it's like, it's saying, look, you've been through something traumatic and that doesn't mean that has to stop you from doing the things that you want to do in life. And you know, like you were saying, everybody does process things differently. Like, I get offended when people say, get over it already. And, you know, what is easy for you to process and deal with and move past is not always easy for the next person. So I think that it's important that we give grace Mm -hmm. to our fellow people, our fellow humans, because not everybody is going to process things differently. And one of the things that you said that I can really, really identify with is the shame. I was sexually assaulted when I was younger and I was made to feel ashamed. I was told you can't talk about it. This isn't something we're going to talk about. We're never going to speak on this again, so forth. But in, in the process of that, you have family members or friends that's looking at you like you're crazy because you did outcry. You cried out, but nothing mm-hmm. was done. So when nothing is done and everybody is looking at you like you're the bad person, it makes you ashamed. 
Yeah. It makes you feel like maybe it is something I did wrong. And now you're carrying that shame with you. Another um, situation, too, that I want, especially our young girls, to realize when I was like 15, I got pregnant and my mother made me have an abortion. Well, we had an abortion and um, I'm happy, you know, and I hate to make it sound like, oh, yay, thank God I had an abortion. It's not, not, you know, I'm not happy like that. But given the age that I was and the fact that I knew I was not ready to be a mom and when I got pregnant, it wasn't something that I was seeking to do. It was something that happened because I was looking for love mm-hmm. out coming out of being raped and not feeling loved and supported in my family. I was looking for love and support somewhere else. And it just so happened to come in the form of a little boy who, of course, took advantage of the situation. Right. So you can't really be mad at him for being a boy mm-hmm. and doing what boys do. But even with that situation, my mother was like, oh, you're damaged. You're damaged goods now. Mm-hmm. Don't tell anybody. Nobody else is ever going to want you. So you have to keep that to yourself. So uh, that was something else that I had to carry in shame. And being at the age I am now, I'm just not feeling comfortable in talking about these things out loud and saying it out loud and releasing myself from the shame of it all. Realizing like, hey, it's nothing for me to be ashamed of. You know, we all make mistakes when we're young. We all do things that we might not be proud of. But the thing is, is it teaches us as well. If we're willing to learn, we can learn the lesson from it and then we could be better after that. So to any young girl that's listening, if you find yourself in trouble or in a bad way or going through some things, don't wear the shame on your shoulders. Don't embody that into your spirit release that shame, say, hey, I did this, it was a mistake, but now I'm going to figure out how to move past it and be better. You know, just don't wear the shame. Don't let that shame overpower you because like I said, I'm 48 years old. It took me 30 years to release it and speak out on it. You know, it's important to be able to do that. It's important to release it. Yeah. And and like you said, not everybody has to come onto a podcast and talk about it, right? Like it's Thank God, you know, that we do have people who are willing to come and speak openly about this because that was, you know, a hundred years ago, you weren't, you were not coming out publicly talking about these kinds of things, right? This was, right. <laughs> you probably get, you'd be, uh, what they give you, the lashes, yeah, yeah, at the very least, you know, completely ostracized, right? And outcast him. So we're in a different day and age now and but not everybody has to speak out but the point is that some people are that's helping other people who are suffering silently and i think you know the patriarchy has a lot to do with this right we it's it's our society is still to this day 2022 a young woman if she's sexual if she's raped t- today or she's getting pregnant at the age of 15 today she's still going to suffer that imposed shame, right? She, you, right. you, as a 15 year old, you may not have internalized that, you know, I mean, the trauma is still there, but you know, if you had somebody who guided you through it, I think maybe you wouldn't have had as much shame for 30 years. And that's where the behavioral wellness comes from. That's where, you know, therapeutic services come from. 
because I, I wasn't afforded that. I wasn't afforded a victim's group or a therapist or somebody to help me understand what had happened to my body and the confusion, the anger, the frustration, not getting justice, all of those things tied into that traumatic experience. And what people have to realize is that those experiences offset your behaviors. So I may respond a certain way in certain situations. That behavioral response is a trigger from something that happened in my past. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, don't associate those things, but they are greatly associated. If you were hurt or violated, then somebody touching you is going to create a reaction, that behavioral response that might not look pleasant, but it's it's a trigger. You know what I'm saying? You were yeah. triggered. It could be a song. It could be a smell. It could be a place, anything like that can trigger a behavioral response. So if we don't understand the trauma, then we don't understand the response. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's important to sit down and talk to people, hear them out. A lot of times people just want to be heard. I just want to be heard. I want to be understood. I want to know that my feelings are being accounted for, that they're being considered And even if things don't go my way, in quotations, it's okay because at least you heard me out. Mm -hmm. At least you took the time to consider my thoughts and my feelings. And that goes a long, long way sometimes in beginning to change the behavior patterns and the processes that we go through. Um, you know, it, it affects our eating habits. Think of how many people are obese or suffer from depression because of something that happened. And now they're suffering from depression. So they're eating their feelings. And then what does that create? Heart problems, high blood pressure. You know what I'm saying? So all of those things have a, a direct effect on how we live now in the now. It affects us in a big, big way. Yeah, that's that's so, so important. I feel like we need to keep I need to, you know, in in many discussions, just keep repeating this. Our behavior is a product of our life experiences. And I guess to Mm -hmm. a certain extent, how conscious we are. Right. Some people are just completely unconscious, but, you know, they haven't had the opportunities to explore this with somebody, you know, I think people are unconscious for many reasons. Sometimes the pain is so great. People just don't even want to begin to look in that direction, you know? Right. But in particular, like the work that I do, which is I'm a nutritionist, you know, I help women lose weight. I I'm, I'm helping women with healthy aging. It's not about being wrong. It's not about, oh, I did all these bad things and I'm a bad person and I and I have to fix it by going on some crazy diet. That's like right. that's the old that's the old way of doing it. The 1980s version. Like I'm I'm done with all that. It's like, what is causing me to behave in this way? What is causing me to eat in a way that I know is hurts me? I mean, so mm-hmm. many women know, they know when they're eating it that they feel terrible afterwards, right? Physically mm-hmm. and maybe emotionally as well. So it's about getting away from that blame and that shame and moving toward taking responsibility and that so-called in quotes bad behavior that they may be embarrassed about 
or a doctor might yell at them about, you know, why do you, why do you keep doing this, this and that? Why aren't you taking care of yourself? Why aren't you taking the medication? Whatever it is, as soon as you keep making people wrong about that, then they're, they're not going to want to change their behavior. So we have right. to look at it from the perspective of I'm behaving this way for a reason because mm-hmm. I'm hurting or I feel lonely or I feel bored. Sometimes we're just yeah. bored in life. We're not satisfied yeah. in our career. Like you talked about having a purpose, right? There's so many reasons that someone could exhibit behavior, self, self-damaging, self-sabotage kind of behavior. Yeah. We have to keep looking at that and not just blaming people, you know? And I think the work, right. so, so what do you suggest people do? Let's say we, someone's listening and she's, you know, a woman around, I'm 52, so around our age and maybe has some degree of trauma that, you know, maybe to a certain degree has addressed, but there's always more that could be done. And, and she's looking at her own behavior saying, I wonder if this is affecting my behavior. What, what can people do? The first thing I would suggest is definitely don't do it alone. So mm. get somebody, a professional, a therapist, a life coach, a behavioral wellness coach. Um, get somebody who is a professional that can help guide you through the feelings. Yeah. Because when you start digging into those feelings and those memories and those experiences, it's going to be overwhelming for you. And, and when you get overwhelmed, it's easier to be like, okay, I'm done. I'm over. Let me go grab this ice cream and I'm not doing this no more. But if you have somebody that can go through the process with you, then they can encourage you. Even if they sit there and eat that ice cream with you, they're with you. And they're saying, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm right here with you. We're going to get through this. So you have somebody that is safe where you could be vulnerable. You could be broken. You could be scared. You could be hurt. And they're right there to support you through those feelings. So they give you the comfort you need to experience the feelings you need to experience. Once you do that, for me, I had to, outside of therapy, I also began to meditate Mm -hmm. and I began to do affirmations. So my bathroom mirror is full of affirmations. It's full of scriptures. So I'm brushing my teeth in the morning and I'm like, you are somebody. You can make good decisions. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay to to feel it's okay to have your feeling in the moment as long as the moment doesn't last mm-hmm. for hours. So, you know, I, if I'm hurt right now, then, okay, let me feel that hurt in this moment. Yeah. Acknowledge that feeling. But five minutes from now, I want to be able to be moving past that feeling. You know, always find a reason to smile. As hard as the days are, there's something beautiful in each and every day. And if you look at it from, you know what, I woke up this morning. That's a reason to smile. Mm -hmm. That's a reason to be grateful. So let me just start there. I always tell people, start small and build yourself up and -hmm. congratulate yourself on each step of the day. So for someone who's going through something and once you get with your therapist and you begin to talk about it, take that moment, take a step back and say, okay, who do I want to be? moving forward. I know that this person isn't working for me anymore. This person is causing mental stress, 
physical stress is causing wear and tear on my body and my mind and my spirit, so forth and so on. I spent 20, 30 years being that person. I don't want to be that person anymore. So who do you want to be now? Who do you want to be moving forward? For me, I had to take a look backwards and say, before all of my trauma, before the the hurt and the pain and the shame came, who did I want to be? What did I want to be? And what did that look like for me? And once I was able to recapture that young person and who she wanted to be and the goals and the aspirations she had, I was like, okay, well, maybe I can't be Matlock anymore, but I can still find a way to help people. So how can I take that and turn it into my today situation and the opportunities that are present to me right now? What can I do moving forward that will still give me that same sense of helping people, but just maybe not the way Matlock would do it? And I'm saying Matlock because when I was younger, I really did want to be Matlock. I love, <laughs> I love Matlock. Okay, so. But I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to do something that involved children. And I knew that that was important for me to give back, maybe because I was adopted. So a part of me was like, hey, somebody came and scooped you up and adopted you and raised you and sacrificed and educated you. It's important for you to give that back to somebody else. Hmm. So... I knew that whatever I did, it had to be in that realm of helping children. It had to be about building a child up, teaching a child, loving on a child the way that I felt my mother gave and did for me. Mm -hmm. And so identify that young person, her hopes and dreams and see how they fit into today's hopes and dreams for you. And then you start taking those itty bitty steps to accomplish it. So for me, when I realized what I wanted to do, I said, okay, so where do I go to school? How, what kind of education do I need to be able to work with children and to help children? And on my path, I fell into autism. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what autism was. It kind of just fell in my lap. And I always say it was a blessing. God delivered this to me and said, this is where you're going to do your best work. And I've been working in the autistic community now for almost eight years. I love what I do. These little bitty faces that smile when I walk in the door brightens my day. Um, and I always tell people this particular career saved my life because after my mom died, I was seriously contemplating suicide. I was so depressed and I was so alone. And I just felt like, I didn't know what I was living for anymore. You know, my son was grown. He moved out to state. He's living his own life. He doesn't need me anymore. And I was really at the brink of the cliff. I was on the edge of that cliff and I was ready to take that step off. And I got a case. And that case, that little smile on that little baby's face was the first ray of hope I had seen. In like two years, it was the first ray of light that I had seen. And it literally saved me. And God said, I'm not done with you yet. This is where you're going to be. This is your purpose. This is where you're going to excel. And it's literally been the best thing that has happened to me. I love seeing these babies learn. I love watching them grow. I love seeing the family's face when their child is doing something that they've never done before. It's just, it's a feeling that 
I can't even describe it. It's just, it just great. Like it just makes me smile. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just one of those feelings. So I would tell somebody tap into that because although you might not be able to be Matlock anymore, you can still do something that's going to help and benefit somebody else. And, you know, I will also tell a person that it's important to extend yourself, put yourself mm-hmm. out there to somebody else. Because what I learned is when I'm helping, it takes the focus off of my pain. When I'm doing good for somebody else, then I can't focus on what's wrong with me because Mm -hmm. I'm too focused on them. And that helped me with the healing process also. It's never too late to heal. It's never too late to move forward. It's never too late to dream. And it's never too late to accomplish that dream. So don't give up on yourself. Give yourself some grace. Allow yourself those moments where you need to just like, hey, not today. That's fine. We all have those moments. But don't let one day turn into a week. Don't Mm -hmm. let that one day turn into a year. Deal with it that day, but get back up tomorrow and hit it and say, you know what? That was yesterday. It was a bad day, but today is going to be better. I'm alive. The sun is shining, it's raining outside, the plants are being fed. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever it is, find that beauty of that day and get up and keep moving forward. Wow. Yeah, I love that. So so there's so much, so much. So it sounds like starting off with with that awareness and seeking out help is so important. And mm-hmm. also, also I think, you know, something that you said earlier was about, you know, you don't like it when people say to you, oh, just get over it. And I think that's, you know, you were talking about being in a safe space and expressing those emotions, not continually bottling them up. I think that's a really important aspect of what you were saying, you know, to work with someone who's a professional to who can guide you through this, because I think sometimes it feels like life or death. Like if you're going, if you're going to go there and and go back and sort of relive that trauma to a certain extent and 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 look at those emotions it it, it can feel like an existential crisis like you're going to die if you experience yeah. those things so i think it's really important uh for people to do that that work and maybe that play i like to sometimes i i like to switch out the word work for play <laughs> yeah. let's have a little fun in this you know but to do those processes with somebody and also to understand that you are here for a reason. You are, you do have a purpose and there are people who need you. They need yeah. your special gift. You know, for you, that was, you know, working with children with autism. Maybe there's much more in your future. I'm sure there is, but you know, the, the point is that those people need you and having that purpose, I believe, and I wanted to ask you if you believe this, but I believe that in order to really be doing the work that really is fulfilling that you love, there has to be an element of helping other people in there. Yeah. No matter, it doesn't matter what you could be holed up in a room somewhere and never talk to human beings, but through your work, you could be helping someone, right? You could be a writer, you could be a software developer or helping people. But I think that as human beings, we all have that inner striving to help others. And that is so fulfilling for ourselves then when we do that. So it's really, I think it's really important. And also just, I guess you you were just talking about taking pleasure in your job. Like it's, it's so in your work that you go every day and it gives you joy to be doing that. So also want to reiterate the meditation thing. Awesome. 
But it's hard, right? Because if you don't seek out that help and you don't explore those emotions, it's hard to just sit down and start meditating, right? Because it's like you're opening up, you know, the the genie's bottle or whatever, and you don't know what's going to come out. So I like how you kind of, I don't know if you did that deliberately, but you kind of made it almost like an evolution, right? Like first you seek out help and you d- mm-hmm. explore those emotions. Then you meditate and you spend time with yourself or maybe you walk in nature, you know, whatever I guess works for the person. Right. And then you start, you have the space to start thinking about who was I when I was a child before all of that trauma occurred? Who was that little girl and what did she want? I love that part too, by the way, because- yeah. It's so interesting, and as a behavioral uh, wellness expert, anybody who's in behavioral psychology or you know mental health knows that like many of the answers are found in our childhood. <laughs> yes, they are. You know, I even recommended to people, um, previous clients, current clients, or whatever. I always recommend when when we get to the heart of where the where the trauma came from, where it lies, what is triggering these. I always tell them after we do a little bit of work and we go through some things, you know, one of the steps I take with them is for them to write a letter Mm -hmm. to that little person, Mm -hmm. to that little boy, to that little girl. Write them a letter and tell them everything you need for them to know. Apologize. Let them know it's not their fault. Let them know it's okay. Let them know you never forgot them. You know, just get it out and let that little person hear your voice. Because that that little person still needs comfort. And that's mm-hmm. what I had to learn. I had to learn that that 13-year-old that was sexually abused, she was still, I'm, I was 30, but she was still hurting. Yeah. And I needed to acknowledge her pain. Mm-hmm. And I had to talk to her directly and say, hey, little Liana, it's okay. It was yeah. not your fault. You did not have to be feel ashamed for that. You did not do anything wrong in that situation. And yes, the adults around you failed you. Yeah. But it's okay to forgive them also because they didn't know better. They only did what they were taught. And, you know, I don't know in other cultures, but I can tell you in my cultural, and when I'm saying my culture, I'm talking about my household, my upbringing, my the, the people who raised me, it was always what happens in my house stays in my house. So that's almost like the don't ask, don't tell policy. You know oh, what no. I'm saying? Like you just don't tell nobody. You keep it to yourself. So no matter what's going on in that household, you cannot say anything. And that was like the unspoken golden rule of our families. You just don't talk about it. So when you when that is the situation, when I'm talking to my 13 year old self, I have to tell her like, hey, they did what they were taught to do. They were taught to not talk about it. They were taught to pray it away and not seek therapy. They were taught to spank and whip and and punish for wrongdoings instead of communicating about why it's wrong. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. when you're raised like that, you tend to pick up the patterns that your parents taught you. Sure. You know, my mother learned it from her parents. I learned it from her. 
And it was at some point the chain had that cycle had to be broken. And I yeah. chose with my son, we're going to break this cycle. I'm not going to whoop you for every little thing. We're going to talk and communicate more. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to shove things under the rug. We're going to talk about it and communicate more. If something happens to you, you come and let me know and I will fight for you. We're not just going to shove it under the rug and not speak about it. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to scream it out loud and I'm going to fight for you, you will know that somebody is in your corner always. And I look at the relationship between my mother and I, and we loved each other. We rode for each other. There's nothing we wouldn't do for each other. That was my, that's my mom, you know, but our communication sucked. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry. That's not a proper word to say. That's but okay. It, it, it really, really, it, it, it wasn't, cohesive. We didn't have that cohesiveness in our in our communication. It was, she was the dictator. I was expected to do what I was told. And that was the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I look at my son and I and our communication, because I chose to break that cycle, we talk about everything under the sun. We laugh at each other. We laugh with each other. We learn from one another. He, he calls me and tells me everything. Like, whether it's good news or bad news, I'm the first phone call he's going to make. And I'm the same way with him, you know, good or bad. If I need business advice, you know, or anything. I call him and I run my business ideas by him and I get his opinion. And then I'm able to put the plan together. So I just see the difference in the relationships mm-hmm. just as it pertains to communication, how well he and I get along versus, you know, my mom we didn't always get along, but I always showed up because that's what I was supposed to do. I, mm-hmm. I didn't say no ever because I wasn't allowed or supposed to with her. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So you yeah. have, it, it's important to identify what those problems are so you can be the one to break the chain. If it didn't sit well for you, don't pass that one to your kids. My right. mom with me for everything. If I spoke out of turn if I didn't make good grades, if I had a hair out of place, <laughs> if I did anything to that did not represent her in the best positive light, I would be in trouble. And like I said, with my son, I chose to go the opposite route. I chose to say, hey, listen, these are your choices, right and wrong. This is what you could do. But if you do this, these are going to be the consequences. If you do this, then these will be the consequences. Now you get to make the choice as to how, what you want to do. But mm-hmm. just know, whichever one, you're going to deal with those consequences. Right. And allow him to learn how to make decisions early on. And choose for himself right versus wrong. And understand like, hey, I made the wrong choice. So I had to suffer these consequences. But I think it made him a better man today. Because he thinks. He's mm-hmm. very logical. He puts the pieces together before he just goes out here and does something. Mm-hmm. He contemplates it. And he, you know what I'm saying? And I like that about him because he's not just moving on his emotions. He's yeah. moving with some type of thought process. And that's something that I didn't have. Like I moved on emotions up until like maybe three years ago. <laughs> 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 I mean, I've just been an emotional wreck for all my life. So, but yeah, and, and I think that's healthy though with parents nowadays. We can't parent the way our parents did in the 60s. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah. even when we talk about generational curses, 
I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day and we were talking about how our parents instilled their fears on us. So being raised in a predominantly black community, black parents, black relatives, cousins, whatever, you're taught to be afraid, to be afraid of this, to be afraid of that. Don't look these people in the eye. Don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. that's the, the area they, they were raised in. My mother was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. So she was mm-hmm. raised in the South. So they had a different mentality growing up. They had a different fear. But that fear was also put on us. And I can remember me wanting to go into acting. I wanted to act so bad. Like I'm still trying to cry on demand. Um, but I did I wanted to act right (laughs) and I remember I wanted to run away I was going to run away from home when I graduated high school and I was going to run to New York and I was going to be this I was going to be a soap opera star because I figured soap opera stars never die and even when they did die they always came back looking better than they did before so I was like oh I'm going to be the next Erica Kane you know what I'm saying like that was it for me um, but I can just remember my mom telling me every time I tried to do something in the world of entertainment, I didn't do, I couldn't do it. I wasn't talented enough for that. It's never going to make me any money. I'm not going to be able to do it. Her thing was just get an education, get an mm-hmm. education. They could take everything away from you in the world, but they can't take your mind from you. So just study, 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 go to school, get an education, get a good job, take care of yourself. And that's all you have to do. And um, I realized that it wasn't so much about her not thinking that I was talented. It was more so about her fear of what will happen if you go. If you go out there, you see so many movie stars and actresses and singers who get caught up in drugs and uh, this horrible, you know, thing that comes with that lifestyle. And she was so afraid that that might be me that she did whatever she could to deter me from it. Whereas when I'm with my son, I have to check my fears and I have to say, you know what, is this my fear that I'm placing on him or is this a real fear to have? So with he and I, we talk about it more. When he said, Ma, I want to go into the music industry. I want to be a recording engineer. That's what I'm going to go to college for so forth and i was like oh no not the not the rappers they're they're all <laughs> gangbangers and they're drug addicts and they're this and they're, you know yeah. that fear came right into it and i heard yeah. my mother's voice and i had to stop myself and say don't do that to him don't mm-hmm. do that to him don't kill his dream because you're afraid trust that you've given him the tools that he needs to be smart and to rise above the stereotypes and the things that you think that they're doing in these studio sessions. He's smarter than that. Mm-hmm. And thank God I did not keep him from his dream. He graduated with his degree in recording engineer. He's been working as a successful recording engineer for the past four years now. Mm. And now he's in New York recording with a major label. You know what I mean? Like he's living his dream. He's so happy. He's so proud of his. I'm proud of him. And I'm just really grateful that I didn't allow my generational fears to attach themselves to his life wow. and what he, he's doing. 
Yeah, wow, that's that's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm I'm so happy for your son. That's this is so wonderful. Oh gosh, I, I'm getting goosebumps and chills and like, you know, shivers over here. Like it's just such a it's so beautiful that you know you you were able, first of all, you were able to break that chain. And, you know, let's face it, those fears are justified. All of the fears that you mentioned, anybody could look and say, yeah, those are justifiable fears. But like you said, it's your fear. It's not his. So, you know, and I think it's hard as a mom because you, I I have two girls and they're 16 and 20 and, uh, you know, I'm scared shitless about all kinds of things for them. My daughter lives in Brooklyn. I'm afraid she's going to get mugged I'm, you know, or worse. Like it's just a constant, but at the same time, I'm not going to, I'm going to keep those to myself because look, you got to prepare your child for life to a certain right. extent, right? There right. are certain things aware of the world and the things right. that's going on in the world, but you can't keep them sheltered from the world. Right. Yeah. You know, they have try to, to control live. them. Yeah. It's, I think it's about control, you know, because of that fear, you're trying to control, like your mom was basically, again, and also what you talked about is basically practicing forgiveness, right? Like there were adults around you who maybe should have, I mean, definitely should have done things differently from what you said, but harboring anger for the rest of your life towards your mother or anybody else who, you know, is not going to help you heal. So, you know, I think that's part of the healing process, but it's about control. You know, it's about control. Like I'm afraid of something. So I'm going to try to control you. And and we know one thing, you cannot control another human being. You cannot control them. So even if you tried your hardest, you know, maybe your son would have gone on the same exact path. Who knows? But uh, it's wonderful that you supported him and that, and you can, you can celebrate with him. You know, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I always tell them I'm getting my red carpet with body ready. That's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. My my brother's in the music industry. He actually was a recording engineer for many years in New okay. York City. Uh, that wasn't what he, I think at a certain point he thought he wanted to do that, but then he, he's really a musician. That's really where, you know, so he's not in that world anymore, but you know, it's a tough world. It's a cutthroat, you know, competitive world. And there's a lot of hours and, you know, dealing with diva personalities and all of that stuff. So that's not easy. And it's, it's a very high level of there's skill, there's talent, there's training, there's experience, like to get to that level is, is remarkable. So, uh, and he's only 27. Yeah. And I always tell him I'm happy that he did decide to go to school for it because I had him in sports medicine. Like, you're going to be sports medicine. (laughs) That's that. Yeah, because you you want a doctor as a child, right? That's not a bad thing either. That's not what I want to do. And, um, you know, but I'm happy that he went to school and he didn't just say, hey, I'm just going to jump out here in the music industry mm-hmm. because one of the things I was concerned with was contracts. Like, oh my yeah. God, Trey, they have these horrible contracts. These people end up broke and having to file bankruptcy and you do all this work and you get nothing at the end of it. So him going to school to get his degree in recording engineer, he had to take contra- contract business contract courses. In, in entertainment contract courses. Yeah. So they he had to learn the, the terminology of these contracts and what to look for and how to construct them and so forth. And that gave me a lot of ease because uh-huh. I'm like, okay, he's not going to get ripped off for $50 in a Betamax. 
So... <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, you have to make your kids aware of the world that they're living in, but you can't keep them from living in the world, you know, like we all have a life to live. And the one thing I always try to tell people a couple of things is one life comes for everybody at some point in time. No one in it is exempt from life. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the tools that you need to handle it when it comes. Yeah. And when I say life comes for everybody, bad things are going to happen. There's nothing we could do. We could lock ourselves up and barricade ourselves in the house and we'll have a big old snowstorm that's going to take the power out. And now what you're going to do? So mm-hmm. life comes for everybody. So it's about being knowledgeable and understanding who you are and how you deal with stress and trauma and situations when life does come. The second thing I always like to tell people is, and I don't know if, you know, people believe in the Lord or a higher power or whatever it is, but I always tell people when Jesus walked this earth for them 33 years, he didn't walk this earth and sit on high with the pharaohs and the kings, and he wasn't eating steak and lobster and caviar. He was down in the trenches, in the gutter, by the sea with everybody that was hurting. He was spreading a message of hope and love and healing to people. He was teaching us how to be one with each other and how to be supportive of each other. He was teaching us how to be a community. So it's important that we do that now, that when you see somebody hurting, if you can offer them a kind word, a scarf, a hug, a smile, offer up something to make them feel the hope of the day uh, or tomorrow, you know, just give them some type of kindness because when you're going through a hard time, you're going to want somebody to be kind to you. So give what you want to receive in return. And I always kind of say that to people because I live by that. You Mm -hmm. know, I have a thing on my mirror that says when skies are gray, smile anyway. Mm -hmm. And I do that. You know, I try to always leave with a smile. I crack corny jokes. And my parents would laugh and be like, you are, that is so corny, but it made me laugh. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, if one of my friends are going through a hard day, I always tease them and say, hey, you want me to do my Sammy Davis Jr. impression? And they're like, please don't, because it's a horrible impression. But it gets that smile out of them. It gets that laughter from them. And it, it gets them out of their head. To where they can breathe a little bit and say, okay, it's not going to be that bad after all. You know, it's just important to do that for people. Absolutely. I I believe that, you know. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And actually, there I, we should wrap it up soon. But um, I, there is research. I've, I've actually written about this in my blogs and stuff that one of the ways that you can reduce the stress response in your body is to volunteer is to help other people. It doesn't have to be a volunteer, but any way that you can help others, that they actually have done studies on this, and maybe you're aware of that, but that they show that actually lowers cortisol. And it lowers, Mm -hmm. you know, people feel calmer in their nervous system when they're actually helping others. So there is, when we do that, there's always a little bit of something for us too, right? It's a gift to ourselves as well. I think that's that's a very important thing. And I I just want to, Liana, thank you so much for being here with me today, spending the time 
taking the time out of your day and sharing your wisdom, sharing your story, you know, being frank and honest and vulnerable. Cause you know, we were saying earlier, people need to hear that. I think we all Mm -hmm. need to hear it. It makes us feel like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy over here, you know? (laughs) So thank you so much for today. Oh no, thank you again for having me. I'm sorry we didn't get to touch on a lot of the health issues, but hopefully it's a good. <laughs> yeah, I well, I think we did. I think this is all related to health. Everything, relationships, yeah. having a purpose, you know, all the other stuff we talked about, the mental health stuff, that's all health. It's not just yeah. about, you know, exercising and eating well. Actually, if you're having that inner turmoil and you've had trauma and you're not really addressing it, Nutrition can help you to a certain extent, but you're never going to make that full progress if you don't address those inner issues. It's it's all connected. You can't just shove it down and pretend it's not there. Right. It's gonna it's gonna pop up, you know. So it's all related to health. Everything we talked about, relationships, everything. So this was wonderful. Thank you so much, Liana. Well, thank you again for having me, Jill. I really appreciate the opportunity and hopefully we'll get to do this again. Maybe you could be a guest on my show next. Yeah. So that was a pretty amazing conversation, wasn't it? I just, I enjoyed talking to Liana so much. You know, we laughed, we uh, felt emotions. I got my, my goosebumps, all of that good stuff. So Liana has a couple of different things going on. She's a social services technician. Uh, She works with people with mental health disorders, substance abuse, behavioral health, and, and homelessness. And since 2015, she has been working in the autistic community, helping people with autism and their families to learn and grow with dignity and respect. So that's all pretty incredible stuff. She has a show on YouTube called Faithfully Her, which uh, I'm, I'm going to be a guest on at some point. It showcases individuals in the community who are entrepreneurs or community advocates promoting positive change in the world while also inspiring others to be their best selves. So totally aligned with what I'm trying to do in this podcast. And I'm excited about that. And I definitely recommend that you check it out. Uh, She has a website, faithfullyherllc.net. Thank you for listening to that wonderful episode. And I hope you were moved and inspired and feel empowered to live a better life yourself and all for all of us to do that. So if you want more information around what we do, check us out at Work With Your Nature, Wellness and Weight Loss. That's winweightloss.com, W-Y-N, weightloss.com. And we have a blog. So if you do forward slash blog, you'll, you can check out all our good articles there and uh, get inspired in, in regards to your health, whether that relates to relationships, your purpose in life, you know, some of the stuff we talked about today, nutrition, fitness, sleep, stress management, all of that good stuff. It's all connected to our health. So check it out. Thanks for listening.